The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! I don't know how we're going to start this game. There's just no there's just no way we can do it. I'm just I don't no one knows the rules. No one I don't I can't even find my third baseman. I just don't know if we only had someone. If there was only someone who could come in and explain the rules and make calls for us, we could get this game started. But I don't know who would Oh, get out of here. <laughs> It's Umpire James. Umpire James has come to explain baseball to (laughs) y'all. Umpire James, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy. I have, uh, let me tell you, I got a locker room full of baseballmen, and Mm -hmm. they don't know anything about what they're doing. Uh, One of them... Locked up some ballsmen. One of them Mm -hmm. them was just was just turning the shower all the way to the hottest setting on players and telling them that they were in a pickle, that this was a pickle. And I just, Mm. they don't, they don't Mm -hmm. know, they don't know what they're doing. I just really need Mm -hmm. some guidance here. Um, None of the uniforms fit right. I just, I, I... Ball one, take your base. You want me to, you want me to, you want me to steal a base? Take your base. Ball two. I mean, I'll... Keep walking. (laughs) Ball two. I... (laughs) First of all, traditionally... Ball three, you're out of (laughs) here! (laughs) Um, okay, well... Something foul in the air here, Paul. I'm not terribly versed in this set of rules, but I assume that, uh, that you're, that you're an expert... Um, so well, w- w- okay. So well, I look. I've got a couple of players. They're having a, they're having what looks to be strike a strike sword- two. Slap your knee. Right, it's knee slapped. Down. All right. Yeah. Uh, Slide so into first. Go on. You want me to do all these things? This seems a little unorthodox. I gotta be honest with you. I mean, Swing, batter, 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 batter. Swing. <laughs> 
the umpire usually heckle the. We want a, we want, we want a pitcher, not someone who scratches their stomach. This, this Take all your tra- base. This, <laughs> this all tracks. Hey, welcome to the Third Men Podcast. Um, that's that's been hilarious. I am your co-host Paul Kaminsky, and I'm your baseman James Kaminsky. Take your base. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Umpire James. Um, this is our, You're out of here. All right. all right. This is the Third Man Podcast. We're a Jack White history podcast where we go over lots of fun Jack White stuff and Third Man Records e- ephemera. And this week, James, oh, we've got a doozy. We've got one that's out of the park, Paul. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think you'll you'll agree that we hit this one out of the park. Paul, this one, it's out of that park. Okay. All right. Well, third time's the... <laughs> charm on that for those of you new to the podcast we go over jack white albums and, and movies and history and all that stuff but sometimes sometimes we get mm-hmm. a uh, a person on the show to talk to us a real live person who is uh, in either direct or indirect contact with mr jack white and this week we have none other than jack white's current business partner in the war stick company mr ben jenkins founder of warstick and co-owner with jack white and the tigers ian kinsler that's right paul we got to sit down with with ben for a long time he talked with us for a long time paul we couldn't have been more happy super interesting guy super nice had a lot of cool things to talk to us about uh which we'll get into in a minute but uh it was it's an amazing interview and uh I hope you guys will enjoy it. Yeah, tuck yourselves in for a long winter's interview. Ben was mm-hmm. so kind uh, to uh, to take the time and talk to us, and so we're going to kind of jump right into that really soon here, James. But before we get to all of that... Is there something we should stop doing, Paul? Yeah, I think there is. It's a stop a fucking do it all. Stop it Breaking down. Stop breaking down. Please stop breaking down. You're out. <laughs> uh, Paul, stop breaking down is the segment of the show when we just get something wrong and we got to own up to it. People like you, the listeners, send in corrections to our here program and we talk about the corrections and we correct ourselves. So, Paul, this week, our Stop Breaking Down comes courtesy of none other than fact checker extraordinaire and third person in spirit, always Callie Durga. Mm. Uh, Preach. And, uh, hmm? Nothing. <laughs> Amen. Take your base. Um, Callie points out that in our last episode two weeks ago, episode 56, Jack-O-Lantern 2017. An instant classic. Callie points out that I said that on the Live at Third Man Records album by King Tuff, I said that the album was recorded by Joshua Gillis, and I said that it was Jack White's brother. That would be incorrect. It turns out that would be Jack White's nephew, Joshua Gillis, Ah, not his brother. That was my mistake. I am terribly ashamed to the entire Gillis family. No problem. uh, I'm sure they forgive you, James. I apologize for leading you guys astray, but Callie is here to bring us and put us on the right path. So thank you, Callie. Well, thank you, Callie. I really appreciate that. And that was been a stop a brick and no, no. It's a stop a brick and no. Make it lose your mind. 
James, without further ado, we're going to get right into this interview here. We're really excited about it, and we're going to hop in. What do you say? I'd say you should get to third and just slide right in the that interview. James, I thought there was a strict no doping policy in the uh, Major League Baseball. <laughs> but what am I going to do with all these methamphetamines? <laughs> Welcome to our third man for this week, Ben Jenkins. Ben, how are you doing this morning? Thank you for joining us. I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys looking into what we have going on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. You are well known to the Jack White community for... Really? Uh, That's strange. W- yeah. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you and your business, Warstick, yeah. you partnered with Jack White and Third Man Records, put out a whole series of stuff at this point, you know, baseball mm-hmm. bats, records, and that kind of stuff. So it's great to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's fun. I, I, I enjoy doing this kind of stuff, too. Uh, I enjoy what we do, and I love it, so getting to talk about it's pretty... Uh, fun and my wife definitely gets sick of me talking about it so this is like free reign to do it that's a problem uh, me and paul have as well yeah <laughs> it's a real pleasure to talk with you you're, you're not only the founder of Warstick, but you're also a graphic designer and uh, a marketer and a baseball player and so much we want to kind of go through it all and cover everything but i just want to sort of start at the beginning you played for the martinsville phillies Mm-hmm. the minor league team in their 96 season at age 22. Were you right out of Mississippi State there? Oh, yeah, except for the worst two weeks of my life in between that where I played for the Springfield Capitals for a dickhead named Mal Fitchman. Oh, Whoa. did I say that out loud? Uh, no, I shouldn't say that. No, he was the worst manager I've ever seen in baseball. And, you know, I was in this, I wasn't a highly touted, you know, superstar baseball player. I mean, Division One baseball was... A great accomplishment for me and Mississippi State's got to be one of the best places to play in the country um, but I was I kind of barely made it into pro ball and I had to go spend a couple weeks in what's called independent pro ball which is kind of the lowest of the low like you're not affiliated with a with a major league team right and I really appreciated I mean when I uh, got a call from the Phillies I was ecstatic to get out of there um, because yeah. you really are like, man, should I move on with the rest of my life? Because I'm starting as low as you can low when it comes to professional baseball player, and it doesn't look good. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I got started. <laughs> that seems like a pretty common stepping stone, though, for baseball players. No, that kind of thing? Independent ball is not. Independent ball itself is, um, you know, your goal, I guess, is to, whether you come out of high school or a college baseball, is to get into the system of one of the major league teams, you know, so there's 26 right. of those teams and then they have a farm system. And really when you're in that cocoon, you have a chance. You play good. Sure. You act right. You got a chance. But until you're in one of those cocoons, uh, which, you know, independent ball is not, um, you're just still trying to get noticed to get into one of those cocoons. I don't know why I'm using the metaphor of cocoons because it's, yeah. <laughs> It isn't, but anyway, you get what I'm saying? And so, yeah, yeah like yeah. the Martinsville Phillies would be one of the lower level farm teams of the Philadelphia Phillies. So I at least was like, oh, there's a path right in front of me that could work. And, and, and so that's a much different thing than feeling like you're off in outer space and in, in independent ball when a lot of your buddies who might have probably already just said, hey, I, I didn't get picked up. I'm done. I'm going to move on with the rest of my life. 
you did just answer my question that I was going to ask, which was, oh. uh, what what is a team in Virginia doing with the name Phillies? But now that I know it's a farm team, that makes much more sense. Yeah. I don't even know if they exist anymore. I think um, that league does. And, um, you know, there's like Philadelphia might have a team in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Clearwater, Florida. You know, they're kind of close to each other in a way, but they're not. Yeah, that's in minor league baseball spread all over the country. So. Yeah, so it's I a whole subculture world of totally not glamorous. It's Bull Durham, if you've ever seen the world, the movie Bull Durham, which is great, whether you're a baseball fan or not. Very, pretty authentic. Which we should probably preface this conversation by saying we are not terribly versed in sportsmanship or uh, oh, baseball yeah, yeah, yeah. or any of that stuff. Yeah. We grew up with a lot of Philly fans in our family and uh, and as yeah, well as yeah. a lot of Med fans, things like that. But uh, yeah. I'm, at least I'm not terribly versed. James might be more so, but we should just put that out. Well, you guys like music, right? Yes. You guys like music, <laughs> yeah. right? So, I mean, it's minor leagues would be very analogous to like bands struggling to make it and staying in the crappiest hotels that you can, going from city to city, trying to get better and trying to get noticed that that aspect of it's very much the same thing you know there's nothing glamorous about it but in a way it's kind of the it's part of it it's the path not many people that get to skip over that part you know right right. yeah and and being able to handle that part is a a lot of what makes a difference between one guy and the other you know making it quote unquote so anyway and luck (laughs) yeah when you were a kid was baseball a passion for you and was that kind of where you saw your track going? Because I know, you know, obviously you study mm-hmm. graphic design, things like that. But has it been a lifetime love for you? Yeah, I, I describe it as I had this weird focus, complete razor sharp focus, but on two things, which mm-hmm. is kind of, is that an oxymoron? I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> I, I had this weird thing where I absolutely, from the age of three or four or five, when I could start running, I just loved, it wasn't just baseball, I just loved sports in general in terms of, not being a fan, but I just loved to play. I just loved running, jumping, kicking things, throwing things, like, and then applying that to competing against another person. Um, I've, I just always loved that. And then the weird thing was most people in general that have that don't have a fascination with creativity or, or draw. You know, I just, all I did when I was a kid is play sports and draw mm-hmm. and build Legos and all that kind of stuff. And so one was kind of super natured by my dad and one was kind of super nurtured by my mom but they were both supportive of all of it. And the sports was just more dominant because, you know, it's kind of a more public thing more than anything. Yeah. Sure. If you're doing art as a kid, you know, you're usually off by yourself somewhere. And I always loved that solitude. It was weird. Like in a way, my parents were a little worried about me. Like, why is he off by himself? But when you come out of your room and you got like a badass picture of a wolf there, it's okay. <laughs> as long as it's not like, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah as long as the wolf's not tearing apart your family, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> yeah. It was always just kind of moving along those two tracks, but it kind of works because, you know, you can only play sports so much during the day before you're tired, and then the art part is more a restful thing. And in a way, I had time for both because of that, I think. And um, I was always just kind of doing those both, both of those two things until, you know, you get to high school and I'm playing, like, football and baseball and track, but then... I'm taking architecture classes and art classes and all that kind of stuff. And that continued in college. It's the same thing. And then eventually it was just really a matter of which one was going to win out. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was kind of like for me when when baseball went bad, which it does for everyone at some point, it was not easy. It it kind of sucked. I had a depression type moment like we all do because it was my identity. But also I was really appreciative that I knew I had something else that I loved that I knew I just flipped a switch and put all my energy into that 
at that point, you know, so maybe age 22, 23, I just left it behind and put everything into art and I got super fat. So, you know, but, uh, cause I stopped being, I stopped being physical and I had to deal with that as well. Like, you know, yeah, it went all mind, no body, um, for a while. And then I had to kind of balance that out later, but, um, but yeah, I don't know what the question was anymore, but I, I think you answered it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when you were, uh, drawing or playing sports, did you tend to play a lot of music as well? Cause I mean, you've, yeah. you've obviously in, you know, entrenched yourself in now a musical world as well as yeah. a sports and graphic design world. And if so, who was on your regular rotation? Oh man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in maybe ninth grade, some of my more art, you know, I always had two sets of friends, my total jock sports friends and my art friends. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it was my art friends that were more into music. And a couple of them had started a little band called At Ease, like A-T, A-T like At Ease, like the military. Anyway, I think that's the name. Right. Yeah. And I was just, I was like, hell yeah, that looks badass. Just like any other kid. I was like, I want to do that. And at that point, I'd only dabbled with the guitar and this and that. And I was like, let me do anything. I'll, I'll be in there and I'll figure it out. And I just kind of. They needed a bass player, right, as it happens. And it was like, you know, we'll teach this moron how to play the basic bass stuff because it's, the you know, whatever. No offense to Dominic, but it's the easiest thing. <laughs> Gotta know Dominic now. Um, Friend of the show, Dominic Davis, yes. Yeah, yeah, really nice, amazingly nice guy. And um, But yeah, then I had that same thing of like, I got obsessed with it and I'd sit in my room and learn and learn and learn up to the point where I'm a pretty dang competent guitar player, but... Um, Geez, you can only do so many things, you know? Yeah. yeah and, it, and, and being in a band, man, was like like having four girlfriends that hate your guts. <laughs> <laughs> if it's the wrong band. You know, like, there was more fighting. Like, fuck, you know, like, I wanted to take it really serious because I don't do anything that I don't. I'm like, this isn't worth doing unless you get into it and you try. And even if you suck, yeah. that's not what it's about. You that, And then, you know, the other guys were almost like, who are super talented, are more like, in a way, that it's like a defense mechanism. It's like, this is a joke. I'm like, you're really talented, man. You should, like, try. But, and then we would fight about it, and then it was just like, whatever, you know, so. Oof. Another old story, you know, that's uh, that seems a pretty common thing. But, oh, yeah. boy, the, the unifying factor in this seems to be that you seem to always have, like, a couple different burners running at once. So you always got a couple different, like what you said, like a couple different focuses going at the same time. Is that is that mm-hmm. something you've had? It sounds like it's something you've had your whole life. It is. But and I think that's where this came from. You see the yeah. the logo, mm-hmm. the two stripes. I mean, I you know, Jack's got the weird, and I never knew of Jack's three stripe thing. Mine's two, and it's just always like I'm okay with two things. I think a lot of brilliant things and a lot of interesting things in life are two counterbalancing type things that come together, and there's something that works about that. You know, complementary colors being one. You know, like blue and orange are completely yeah. different but look brilliant together, right? So yeah. I've had to reconcile with that my whole life because I always tried and tried because people would say you got to focus on one thing you got to focus on one thing but for me my one thing is bringing two things together or at least that's what I tell myself so (laughs) I can get away with it I don't know but I'm I'm good at that I think in my work and stuff you'll see things that aren't commonly put together and I find I'm just have a stupid talent for finding the the way that those two things really fit together and then it's a new thing you know, so. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of a nice transition into talking about One Fast Buffalo real quickly here. Uh, can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about the founding of that? That's your graphic design company that you founded. Mm-hmm. 
you know, obviously it sounds like you're in a search for your passion and finding out what you find beautiful and things. And that's kind of, you know, mm-hmm. it's, everything you're describing right now sounds like you're a born marketer anyway. Did anything about the sports world help inform that? Or was that just your personal philosophy that sort of wound up informing your graphic design? The only thing that sports ever helped me do with graphic design, which was no small deal. And I, even one of my meanest teachers pointed it out to the class and embarrassed the crap out of me one day. He kind of said, it's a German guy named Zorin. <laughs> oh my God. If you imagine that, it's a like perfect drag. <laughs> Sounds like the Ghostbusters <laughs> yeah. would want to fight him. I was just going to say, yeah. You know, I like this guy because he, uh, this guy right here is going to be good because he, I'm not doing, I'm doing a horrible German accent. Something like that. <laughs> but he basically, his point was to the class that, you know, there's always someone with talent. There's always people with talent and people born with different levels of inclination towards talent in something. But, and I'm, he was telling the class, this guy, any directly related to sports because sports guys do, they have no choice but to learn how to work hard. And practice and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and muscle memory. So there was no doubt in his mind that I had a little bit of talent, but I was going to work harder than everybody else. And it turns out that's absolutely the case. I'm no more talented graphic designer than anyone I ever meet. And I'm not like that magic, like, holy crap, illustrator or whatever. I just... I really put a lot of work into refining it and getting better at it. And you really, I just have the belief that you can really do that, but you have to have then the focus to repeat and repeat and do that, you know? And it's funny, I've talked to Jack about that and we've had little talks about, you know, everybody, if you think of talent, right? You in a way, like freak talent, I would say Jack, the people are always going to put Jack in that category, genius, freak talent kind of thing. He wouldn't, he would dispute that in a heartbeat. I'm not trying to speak for him, but my perception of that with in talking to him is the dude lived in his room and just practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. Right. He built on top of something that was there. Right. And without that, mm-hmm. that freak genius wouldn't have developed, you know? So, yeah. Usually those one illustration wonderkins usually turn out to be douchebags anyway, because they find out that they have totally, all this man. incredible talent and they don't want to work for it. I, I went to art school. James did mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. We, I had always one of those in every class and, they never yeah. went anywhere because they didn't want to work for it. Absolutely. I, I actually learned what that's. There's a great book called um, Mindset. And um, the point of the book is that there's two mindsets that people have. One's growth mindset and one's a fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. And the kid you're talking about absolutely has a fixed mindset. He thinks, this is how I was born. This is my level of intellect. This is who I am, what I am. And there's no thought to that could be better. Right. And the reality is when it gets hard, those people like that can't handle things because the real world is you're going to have to get better than you actually are to compete or this and that. And a growth mindset can go as far as they'll go. I mean, they'll oh, yeah. keep working and they'll go left and right until they figure out how to improve, you know? And, um, I totally, I see that all the time. I speak to creative, you know, maybe a conference or at a school and I, I it's easy to pick out that kid Sure. Yeah. and I just wink at him. Because it's usually the third best kid that gets really good in 10 years. I was told in my sophomore year of college that I shouldn't be an illustrator by an an illustration professor. And Mm -hmm. that was the catalyst that actually pushed me into becoming an illustrator. Yeah, it's probably a gift. Yeah. Because, you know, he pulled me into his office. He's like, dude, you got to find another career because this is obviously not working out for you. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I have to double down my efforts. So I, I've seen it firsthand. Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. It works. For sure. Getting back to One Fast Buffalo here a little bit. How did that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How did that? How did you <laughs> tell us a little bit about how you founded that? And was that kind of like what you threw your energy into after baseball oh, yeah. wrapped? Or was there a little 
buffer time there, or how did that work? Well, in minor league baseball, you sit in hotels, watch soap operas, try to drink when the coaches can't see you, and <laughs> just do bad stuff. And that doesn't work for me. I just, I can't sit around and do nothing. Like, it just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. I had a computer with me, and I started just, I, I just continued working on graphic design sitting there in a hotel because even if I wasn't getting paid to do it, it was like that, and that's what I need to be doing. Right. If I'm not going to, if I'm not at practice, I'm going to be doing this, you know? And so I would do little odd jobs for people or trade out for jobs. And I kind of learned the art of just the barter, like, Hey, you need a logo. I'll work on it and you'll give me this, you know? And so I right. started doing that kind of on the side. It was like my side gig to baseball was that. And then, wow. When I got out of baseball, I did try to get a job for about six months and no one would hire me to do anything because I just was too all over the place. Like, well, we want you to be a web designer. I was like, well, I do this and this. And I didn't fit any one thing. And no, I didn't even get close to getting a. I didn't get a single job offer. So I really had no choice but to freelance. I freelanced for about a year. And then I came up with the idea to give that a name, which was kind of my first inclination and into like branding and identity beyond something to make it more interesting. And then people started taking me a little bit more seriously for no reason at all, other than it had a name. And I just loved that. That was something about that, right. That I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool shit right there. Um, <laughs> it's kind of evil, but yeah. you know, there's something powerful about identity. Identity is just a very human thing that we've developed over the ages. Right. So you can't ignore it. And then, so, yeah. And so once I started One Fast Buffalo, that gave me that, what about who I am? It's just like, this is what I'm working on. This is my project. Right. You're talking like painting, you know, I'm not getting enough work. So I'm painting my buddy's house to get through and just all that common, just startup trying to make it stuff where, yeah, it's totally feast and famine um, kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But at the end of the day, I was like, look, you can't shut One Fast Buffalo down because my parents will take me back. <laughs> I'll live at their house if I have to. <laughs> if I don't make money, and so like I'm, I'm, I'm impenetrable. Like you can't, you can't shut me down because I'm not stupid enough to. I mean, I, I was very patient with growing it until it could grow and not having expenses that would just put me out of business for no reason other than to do it. So kept it lean and mean and streamlined and and all that, and eventually it did, um, you know, grow and and I have um, some amazing people that I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's almost freaking 20 years old, so that's scary, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> what, what made you go with the name Buffalo? Like, you and Jack, that's another commonality between you two. You both seem to enjoy the noble Buffalo. For me, it was just an, yeah, it was an experience when I was in grad school. I went, to, I did go to grad, I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago only because after baseball, I, I wasn't ready to be an adult yet. I just, like, I needed a little bit more polish and refinement or something, and I just applied to schools and got into one and went. And part of that was uh, I was really studying more film and video and philosophy and kind of weird stuff. And one of my teachers was this really cool guy. And we were he invited me to go do a documentary on Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. And I ended up kind of almost taking off time from school because I got so immersed in what we were doing and living there on and off for about a year. This is KLI, reporting live from Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Now we're going to play a song from all the Indians out there. That was from the powwow, okay? Have a good day out there, Indians. YouTube camera guy. What you see is you see a lot of our Indian people who lost hope. And, and just lost their way. This this little community has four beer establishments, and it's right on the border of the Pine Ridge Reservation. 
So there's a lot of talk about different things. So it was just one of those things where an experience of the cultural appreciation of the buffalo and seeing them in real life and just being like, oh my god, this these guys are amazing. Like I was just fascinated with them and what they were about. Like that they, you could live your entire life following that animal around, eventually hunting it, killing it, and then eating it and making shelter of it and making clothing out of it and all this stuff. It was just, just like this giver of life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know. I just, I just left that experience very impacted by that guy. And when I needed a name for the company, it just kind of came out, you know, wow. and yeah. there is this little story that like, um, Buffalo really are super fast, but you look at them and they look like these big, slow cow creatures, but they're really dangerous because if you'd like, and it happens to someone every year, they go out and try to pet a buffalo and they get gored because these things are fast. They will, they're as fast as horses. Yeah. That's all I needed. I just needed a thing. And the reality is for branding, a lot of times it's mostly just that it creates intrigue is all that the job is. And yeah, absolutely. You know, every time that we get a new client, they don't, they mostly want to know what that means more than <laughs> want to talk about their works. But I mean, that's kind of works nicely into, well, that's the point of what we do for you. It's not about what we do. It's about what you do, but we're trying to give you that thing that attracts people to learn about what you're really doing. You know? Sure. It's a gateway yeah. drug. Basically we are the gateway <laughs> drug. During all of this building of a graphic design business and art business in general, you founded Warstick in 2011. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you uh, how you formed Warstick? Yeah, I mean, you, I don't know how much you guys work with clients, but I'm sure a lot of your audience does. And it was, just came down to after 15 years of doing that, as much as I loved the act of what I did, I just was never about this idea that commercial art isn't art. That I liked feeling like I was in the act of making art, like whether I was painting or where I'm doing graphic design, it feels the same to me. But, you know, when you're working with clients and you're working for someone else, it's never a hundred percent what you want to make, you know, it's, it could be 80%, 90%, 99. It's still not a hundred. It just almost can't happen. Um, I get closer these days because people somehow more respect, you know, when you get older, it's nice. They respect your opinion and your perspective more, but point was it just came out of that man I was like man I need to I need an outlet where I'm just doing what I do but for no one else but me and I'm only doing it to see what it can become mm-hmm. and it wasn't about making money but it was you know it'd be nice to make I had this fascination with making a dollar from making a, an object that I could sell and then sell again and sell again that's a completely different dynamic than a client pays you a single fee to do an illustration or something like that mm-hmm. and that was fascinating to me and just like a challenge. So I just set it up as a project, you know, like now I have another project. It's this little baseball thing I'm going to do and I'm going to um, just treat it like a project. And I really, um, I spent three or four months on it and boom, there was a website and there was bats and I just, <laughs> but it was, that was it to me. It was like, Oh, I'm done. And then I went, Oh man, people are buying these things. What am I going to do now? <laughs> and then it was just keeping it a pure passion pet side project for a long, long time. 
Because yeah. I really don't believe, as much as I'm a marketer, I guess, I believe that the main job is to create something that in and of itself people will talk about. And if you're not doing that, why market it? You know, like yeah. you should market things that organically appeal to people that they are already marketing for you. And then, and that's what we've been doing over the last two years with the investment from Jack is it's like, Hey, this, we all see something here that's worth developing, evolving and marketing. And, um, it, so there was no rush about it before, but, um, people are now definitely talking about it, especially now that major league baseball is actually mm-hmm. approving war stick bats to be used. Mm-hmm. Was that a rigorous approval process or, uh, how, how did that go? It's, it's rigorous and it's just also very expensive. At the end of the day, it's just very, you know, the people, it's a hard thing. People's perception is that that's all about quality and that's absolutely a part of it. There's a baseline standard quality that it has to pass. And you are talking about the best players in the world. So they have that need as well, but it's just very expensive, man. Yeah. <laughs> Super expensive. You, you, you know, you have a, a $10 million insurance policy is required to even hold the license. Whoa. Um, Thanks. Yeah. And then, I mean, Damn. it costs 10 million. Yeah. And then, then there's the licensing fee. And the crazy thing is they basically hand you the license and go, okay, you now have the right to sell these bats to the players. Here's all the parameters that you can do with the bat, which is about 20% of what we really are capable of on the bat. So basically the dumbest, the most dumbed down bats that we do are the ones in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. We can put our logo on it and that's about it. Luckily our logo is really clean and simple and, and people recognize it. But um, you can't, I, like I could never even show just, this drives me and Jack insane almost to the point where you can't think about it, but it's like, we can't show our partner Ian Kinsler in his Detroit Tigers uniform holding our bat for the purpose of anything promotional. I can't huh. even put it on, on, on our Facebook page. And it's because there's one bat company that pays more than everybody else to have those rights. And we get that, but it's just, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of infuriating because we really want to, part of the fun for us is to innovate in baseball and to really keep the tradition and the heritage, but keep it interesting and fresh and stuff. And we want to help major league baseball and, and people do that. And, and man, if, if anybody's doing that, it's us. So it's a little sure. bit of combative relationship just because when you have two guys like Jack and I, that we kind of have ticks against common sense, if it doesn't make common sense, like we get all wigged out and it doesn't make common sense to us. It's like, Hey, we're here to help you, you know? Right. But, um, right. It's just a, it's just business, man. Yeah. Parameters are parameters. You touched on graphic design a little bit there. I Just to expand on that a little bit, looking at the different products that you guys create and general uh, aesthetic when it comes to promotion and your website and things like that, it looks like you've got a real fierce and sort of bold, striking look that you're going oh, yeah. for. Mm-hmm. What lessons do you think you might have taken from your experience in baseball and then in professional branding in how you're executing your graphic design for Warstick. Is there like a North Star behind the company and its presentation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you kind of, man, you're a smart guy. You Not that you, I didn't think you were, but you kind of <laughs> nailed it. Like, that's what I mean by everything for me is just letting experiences turn into something that becomes a new thing. And for me, the mentality behind Warstick and what it was about was as simple as, you know, I remember I didn't have a client. So it was like, well, what would I make if I didn't have to worry about anybody else? And what would it be about? So the, the aesthetic part was easy. That just kind of comes natural. Like, boom, this is beautiful. I love the combination of paint and, you know, natural wood. Sure. Blah, blah, blah. And then the aesthetic part is kind of the down and dirty, boring part. But the what it is was absolutely an extension of not what I was good at in sports, but it was really what I struggled with, which was mm-hmm. I would always run through a brick wall. Like if you told me run through this brick wall and you'll save 10 kids, I'll do it. 
light yourself on fire. That's just bravery. That's just toughness, all that kind of stuff. But the hardest part about sports and baseball is the mental side, is the fear, is the the fear of failure. And in baseball, there's no other sport where you just fail over and over and over. And your mind has to tell you, forget about it, move to the next thing, keep going. And that's, I couldn't do that. I'm a perfectionist by nature. (laughs) It's the absolute wrong mentality to have as a baseball player. And ultimately why I didn't make it is simply had nothing to do with physical is mental. I couldn't just play, you know, I had to analyze it and analyze and stuff. So Warstick to me and what we're really doing with kids in a lot of ways is the delivery system to help kids believe in themselves. If that sounds hokey, that's okay. But it's not like, hey, look, this bat's going to make you hit better because it's got some crazy technology and it's made out of like unicorn fairy dust. (laughs) What you need to realize is that if you believe in yourself, you can hit with anything. Yeah, it's more of an attitude adjustment. Yeah, absolutely. It's an attitude and adjustment and it's it's a mindset towards learning and and that and that's really happening and I love seeing it and it's like that's what this stuff's about it's about having effect on I mean anyone but especially kids in a positive manner because they're not going to grow up and be major league baseball players there's a couple out there that will but if they grow up to have a stronger personal mentality towards failure then Mm -hmm. man that's the greatest gift in the world I mean I'm starting to have kids where my kids in eighth grade now and it's just he does all kinds of things, but I'm just proud that the dude can stand on his feet. I think he could go live in the woods and be okay, you know? <laughs> and as a parent, that's what you're trying to do. And Well, you give him a buffalo and a baseball bat, and eventually he'll follow that around, and he'll be able to eat and sleep and <laughs> clothe yeah. himself. And- it's all about survival, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, unhappiness is just self-created, too, you know? It's just, yeah. you know, these things that are not really there, it's your mindset towards them, and so... I don't know. It also like, man, it's just it's boring to just talk about sporting goods all the time. So it gives (laughs) us a platform to kind of talk about those things. Yeah. But for a reason that people get because it really does apply. Like if I believe that I'm going to get a hit when I go up to the plate, my odds are astronomically higher. If I'm not feeling it and I just not like, man, I don't feel good. I'm just I'm done. You are done. The mental side, especially yeah. in baseball, is huge, so it's real to people. I mean, sports psychology. Yeah. So, I mean, my logo for me is it's on the bat. So when you're holding the bat and you're up to bat before, you'll see a lot of guys do this thing where they hold the bat in front of them, they'll stare at the logo, and they'll breathe out. And it's a clearing of the mind mechanism, and we feel like our logo is actually meant to help them with that. It's a focusing tool as opposed to all the other brands. The easy thing for me as a brander was like, okay, all these companies, what they do is – they put their name as big as possible on the front of the bat because that's the conventional wisdom. Well, it's branding. My name's got to be as big and flashy as possible. Right. And my thing was, I want something that you absolutely see and that you recognize and that you remember. But if, if you designed a beautiful piece of furniture, you wouldn't throw your name all over the front, you know? Yeah. You would have iconic maybe embellishments that people recognize, but I put my name on the back. Like if you flip our bat around, I'm the only one that's ever put the name on the back. And that was super crazy. And I have no doubt that Mike, if I was doing this for a client, they wouldn't have bought into it. And that's exactly the point of why sometimes you don't, you know, I tried to teach my clients about that too, is like, that's kind of what it's about. It's identity being unique becomes taking, having the courage to do those kind of things and not worry, you know, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But the other, I can almost tell them, hey, the other thing won't work. Just building off of that for just a second, as you were talking about the psychological aspect of baseball, I was just thinking like, yeah, like Louisville Slug or whatever, those are huge logos on there. And when you're at the plate, it's not like other sports. When you're at the plate, it's you 
Yeah. And everything hinges on what you do. So mm-hmm. to me, it would be, I guess, a way of thinking of it as a comfort to have somebody el- feel like somebody else is out there with you, which is why somebody's big logo mm-hmm. on a bat to me makes sense. Like, oh, okay, I'm not alone out here. I've got this brand that's going to help me. But what your approach seems to be more like is it's not like I've got somebody else out here to help me. It's more I can help myself. I have myself. Absolutely. That's a much stronger mentality to have. I mean, you need to believe in yourself, not in it's no different than I hate designing in a room full of people because it's so easy to reach over to my buddy and go, hey, man, what do you think here? I'm struggling because design is struggle. Right. Design is struggling through till you find the right thing. And if you have someone to reach over and ask, that's weak. I don't mean to say and sound like a dick, but that's weak mindedness. Right. Uh, no, I and in fact, you don't sound like a dick. you sound like Jack White. I mean, I, th- I think it's very clear why you two <laughs> yeah. guys get along so well because those seem like very, yeah. very similar yeah. philosophies, you know? Yeah. Opportunity doesn't do anything for creativity. Yeah, it makes it easier and you can get home sooner, but it doesn't make you a more creative person. That's the disease you have to fight in any creative field. Ease of use. I keep it uh, guitars that are, you know, the neck's a little bit bent and they settle a bit out of tune. And I want to work and battle it and conquer it and, and make it express whatever attitude I have at that moment. I, I want it to be a struggle. What can I do with three strings on a guitar instead of six? takes me three steps to get over to to play the organ in the middle of this song. Put it four steps away. Then I'll have to run faster and I'll push myself harder to get to it. I mean, the the good stuff is digging inside. I mean, that's it. And so solitude is all about, like, if you just, if you research, you know, your Van Gogh's, your uh, Picasso, your Tesla, like, you know, they all worked in complete, utter solitude where there was no one to reach out to. You know, and I just believe heavily in solitude for that reason, because it's it's very scary. Yeah. But the scary provides the platform to push you. You know, fear is a tool if you let it be. Fear is is how you play. If you dance with fear and you play with fear, you get along. If you run away from it, you're you're kind of screwed, (laughs) you know. And the worst thing ever to do is the comfort pacifier of someone else helping you. You know, now there's different aspects of collaboration and all that stuff that are good for all kinds of things. And critique is a totally different realm. Right. We had touched upon this, actually, when we had talked with Rob Jones, that after college, after, you know, art school, college, kids tend to drop like flies. You know, they, they start to move into other realms because they're not in the studio environment anymore. And so there's no one to push them to do what they're doing. So the people who succeed are kind of weed themselves out. They're the people who really want to do it, even if they're by themselves, you know, yeah. they'll keep doing it. For sure, man. Yeah, that's that extra, that's what, that's why we have a shirt that says, like, grit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what kind of grit means. Grit, grit's this weird thing that we can't define inside that, like, keeps you, it gets you up to that line of running away and then keeps you from doing it. It's like, nah, I gotta stay in there. Mm-hmm. It's simple as that. That's why people respond to these simple words that we put on t-shirts, like grit, battle, they're mental things. They're not physical things, and they lead to so many good things versus bad things. Obviously, Ben has a lot to say here. I found particularly interesting this notion that war stick has always been attached to Native American imagery and mythology since the start. That's it was pretty cool. Yes, super interesting, as well as I thought it was interesting how uh, similar Jack and Ben's approach to creating is they they yes, both absolutely. kind of knuckle down and want to you know put themselves in in little boxes and oh, yeah. uh, and they, and they push themselves pretty hard to 
make something that's worthwhile. And I definitely admire that kind of work ethic. And I, I think it's doing them both good. And I think it's definitely working in Ben's favor. And I, I wish him the best of luck. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, they have very similar policies, as you mentioned. And the similarities don't stop there. The two versus three thing I found particularly interesting. And I know people have like lucky numbers and stuff. And I know like John Lennon had number nine and stuff. And we knew about Jack's number three. But hearing that there are more people out there with numbers that they have such a significant meaning in their lives too, such as Ben with the number two, and the fact that these guys found each other even more so. So uh, it was enlightening hearing his backstory, and uh, mm. we're about to get to some really, really cool Jack involvement stuff in uh, in just a moment here, James. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up in this old interview here. I'm very excited, Paul. Let's Let's hop right back into this interview. And the simplicity is definitely a part of the Warstick brand, like mm-hmm. you were saying, you know, when a player can look at your bat and breathe, you know, because it's got that space, mm-hmm. the, graphically, it has the space to breathe and, like, relax yeah. to it. And you and Jack White, I know Paul just mentioned this, are very similar in that fact, where you both kind of embrace simplicity into your brand. You know, Jack mm-hmm. White has the three, you have the two. Mm-hmm. How did you guys get in touch, and how did you guys connect? Did you approach him, or? Kind of crazy universal forces, kind of weird stuff, to be honest. Like, but before, you know, before I met Jack... Um, I got a call from someone at Third Man, and it was just, hey, this is Third Man Records, so-and-so, and we know about your bats, and we thought it'd be cool to make some kind of Third Man Records-themed war sticks for the, just for the store, which is very common for them to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of collaboration with a lot of the things they make, and um, that's the first inclination that... First of all, I wasn't like, I absolutely knew who Jack was and 100% a lot of Jack's music was playing repetitively when I did Warstick original designs and all kinds of stuff because I love to listen to music when I design and I love to repeat what I listen to. So it almost is like, I can't hear it, but I can hear it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I said, you know, I didn't really understand. I didn't know a lot about Third Man Records was my point. It took me a minute to make the connection, you know. It wasn't like, oh, Jack White. It was like, oh, wait, Jack. Oh, like Jack White. Okay. <laughs> and then those conversations with these guys... I did go, hey, um, I was just, I was like, who at Third Man, you know, knew about Warstick? Because that's weird to me. And he goes, oh, Jack. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? And it was absolutely maybe the first time in my life that I thought, hey, you know what? I might have made a thing that I could be kind of comfortable calling art. Because there was just an absolute appreciation of his, his appreciation for art. Mm-hmm. And that that's what it's about. It's about making that. So it was a good moment. I definitely patted myself on the back, but then actually they kind of disappeared. And I found out later that, I mean, he called and he said, Hey, we, we're going to do this later, but we got to put it on the back burner. See you later. And I was like, okay, cool. Cause at that point I didn't <laughs> care. I just was like, this is to me, just a sign to keep trucking with this and working on it. You know? Yeah. Well then I met Ian Kinsler Literally a couple weeks later, I met Ian Kinsler, who's our Major League Baseball player business partner. And then the weird universal stuff started happening where Ian Kinsler plays in Detroit and I'm meeting with him and I'm telling him about Warstick. And I told him about kind of this, you know, he's like, what's with Warstick? And I'm like, well, it's just got a more appealing, cool, aesthetic, artful side than other baseball bat companies, which don't have that at all. And he's like, like what? And I'm like, well, Coach New York did bats with us and Shinola did bats with us and Third Man Records was thinking about bats with us and that doesn't happen to other companies and he said like jack white and i said yeah like jack white and he goes oh i i kind of know jack a little bit i met him a couple times because he's a huge detroit tigers fan and baseball fan and i just kind of looked at him like huh and i kind of was joking <laughs> like hey well why don't we make jack like the big investor and he looked at me and it was like one of those moments of like it was literally like Fuck it why not because what's, 
But why would you not see? Yeah. I mean, he said, I have his email. I said, could you reach out? And he's like, I have his email and I'll just see. Because we were like, I mean, there's really nothing to lose. So why not? And we loved the idea of that in a strange way. It just felt right. You know, wait until you see the new collaboration between Jack White and Ian Kinsler. White, the Detroit-born musician and huge Tigers fan. And Kinsler formed an unlikely friendship last season. And then they decided to go into business together making war stick baseball bats. All came together. Do you have any musical Zero. Yeah, I'm going to try to learn how to play the piano this offseason. My kids are going to maybe take piano lessons, so I'm going to jump in there with them and let them know it's okay and take my chance at it. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm going to go for it. And I like the fact that Inkins is going to try to play the piano. I, I share that same sentiment that, you know, I'm, I'm learning how to play the guitar, so I understand being a baseball player, but yet wanting to have some musical background. But to no expectation that would happen and then called me the next day and he said, do you want to go to Nashville next week <laughs> and meet Jack White and, and show him this? And I was like, yeah, I do. And then from that moment, it was very, it was surreal for sure. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the most natural progressive thing I've ever done in my life, it just, all the pieces just fell together so naturally, meeting Ian, meeting Jack, us getting together, talking and the deal coming together. I mean, deals aren't easy to do. Business deals, investment, oh my God, they're a total beating. But this was like, done, let's go. And then it's just been the mind, and then then the deal was done, and it was like, let's get to work and keep going on this thing. And it's hard, because it's a startup essentially, but it's extremely fun. And the kind of hard work that is, is fun, you know? So, yeah, I don't, I have no credit for it. I was going to say, you two took a similar approach to the rollouts of your own businesses. It seems like from very similar points of view, just Jack so mm-hmm. happened to be in his record label and yours was in graphic design and then later in baseball stuff. Jack spoke of his affection for creating objects of beauty for professional purposes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you both sort of term things as sacred he calls music sacred i think anything moving anything moving mechanical related to art is i think a beautiful thing i think you know it's, i think we we're missing that in the digital age i think once even cds with had great sounding audio the moving part was hidden inside the machine you yeah. didn't see the cd spinning on most models yeah uh but you know before that it was the, the vinyl for 100 years even the reel-to-reel tapes or even cassette tapes you could see the cassette moving and then when we switched over to digital we didn't see anything parts moving anymore and i think it's sort of like looking at a campfire you're sort of hypnotized and you're reverential to taking part in it even in a movie theater if you're there you know uh, in some sense this projector is turning even if you don't see it yeah you know in the back of your mind there's a projector turning yeah and um i think that's really important in the age of invisible music to have a real physical product you can hold and smell and you can watch turn and you take part in it you drop the needle and you can't help but feel like you're part of that magic and you're reverential to it you sit down and then when the side's over you flip it over you're you know it's not just like pause it i got a phone call and yeah yeah where you're in control the music is in control of you you guys Mm -hmm. consider your bats to be Sacred in terms of like what they're doing, the execution of this, of this tradition mm-hmm. of baseball. Were you aware of the rollout of Third Man as it was happening, or or were you guys literally mm-hmm. on two different tracks that just sort of joined later on? Yeah, I think I was way. I mean, when I was younger, I was a huge. I mean, the early White Stripes, all that stuff. I was just it was massively 
influential and a rotation type thing for me. But then I'd say the later stuff, mostly because I'm getting old, man, and I don't have the time to listen to music like I did when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like anybody else, I got kids and everything like that. But it, I was not able to study and be immersed into music like I used to be. And that's probably the only reason that I just, I was, I kind of missed this whole creation of Third Man, to be honest with you, in terms yeah. of like, it didn't reach me because I'm just so away from that scene and everything and having the luxury to be a geek about that stuff. Like I used to, oh, be yeah. <laughs> that's like 2005, 2006. Where were you at in those years as it was sort of oh, forming? I was completely immersed in being the complete asshole of the creative industry, trying to accumulate as many clients <laughs> as possible and being an asshole boss and not, and just being competitive for the sake of being competitive. And I finally woke up one day and realized I'm a and I need to go back to making art. Basically, that's where yeah. I was. Okay. That was, I had a kind of awakening thing where I got rid of my office and I started living with my wife and kids in a trailer most of the time and just getting back to simplicity and making art and going, you know what? If it means we don't have a lot of money, it means we don't have the money. But I definitely discovered what really happiness and balance was and all that kind of stuff. So that's where I was. And then that put me on a track towards eventually having ideas like War Stick. I mean, without all that stuff, I never would even got to the place of, hey, you know what? It's okay. Do stuff for yourself. Right. That, you know, you have so much creative energy in your life. You shouldn't give it to everybody else. But when you do it for yourself, maybe you'll make something that other people are affected by. And that's absolutely more influential than yeah the other thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was weird. I mean, getting to see the third man aesthetic and everything and the three stripes and the two stripes was more of a, it's weird because it's never been in like a competitive, like, hey, you trying to steal my logo? I'm like, I don't know. You trying to steal my logo? <laughs> and I always throw on in my, you know, my thing is like the least, the most impact with the least amount of pixels. And I'm like, who wins? Because <laughs> mine's too, you know, and, and we just mess with each other like that. But it was weird. It was, we saw it more as a, just a sign, like this whole thing. Everything was a sign that this is supposed to happen. Yeah. So it was more that than anything. You know, it could have been the other. I mean, well, a lot of people could have saw it as like, hey, this is so close that it's making me uncomfortable but it was never like that it's it was like this feels so close that it maybe should work together you know mm-hmm. yeah is what it did was did you ever did he ever pull the table analogy on you like hey you can't a table won't stand with two legs did he ever did he ever try and did he ever try and like fight oh, yeah. for three on his behalf against <laughs> you and two is what i'm asking he knows he'll lose <laughs> i mean we <laughs> Me and Jack really do. We have this great relationship where we stand toe to toe and really enjoy. It's just like what baseball players do do, do too. Uh, Jack could easily be an athlete because what you do is you stand toe to toe with guys and you just go at each other for fun <laughs> and see who wins. And like we, Jack is amazingly good at that. And um, I am too. So I don't know. I mean, that's why it works. So yeah, I mean, he'll say anything to me and I'll say anything to him and <laughs> And it just, there's a lot of mutual respect I as far it. as I know. I Did it take it. any, uh, any coercion or pushing to get him to become the investor for Warstick? Because, you know, he's known for music obviously and he's he's always been a baseball mm-hmm. fan but did he have any kind of reservations that you had to overcome before getting him involved well i think it's as simple as this i mean we met for maybe three hours that first day me ian and jack and it just kept going on and on and on and i think uh, uh ben blackwell was there and um they were eventually all like y'all get a room because it was just one of these <laughs> things where like we didn't want to stop talking about it and jack said something like he knew why we were there and what this is about and he just said look 
I don't invest in anything. Mm-hmm. I self-fund everything. And the reality is he's in a place to do that. He doesn't need investors. Right. And in this, it was just this crossover into this completely different world that we all happen to appreciate, which for me and him is the crossover of design and baseball. And the dude just really loves baseball. So the reality is, he said, but I would absolutely love to be a part of this and invest in it. And it was from the first meeting on. And then, you know, we had to work out the terms of what that was. And that wasn't that difficult. But um, I really think he just... This isn't a thing that made sense to do by himself. Mm-hmm. He could, absolutely. I mean, he has the money to do most of what he wants and create, but the reality in this one was that it's such a strange, different world in terms of the inside of it, and it just felt natural, and it, it really just felt like he could then come in and light a fire on it mm-hmm. right. and have fun. And man, if there's anything that we've done, it's have there's just a lot of continual fun, and it's created a lot of cool experiences, like to the point where Jack's now out there playing Sandlot Baseball, which he hasn't done since he was a kid. And I think for him, <laughs> it's real deal, man. He will tell you, this is the funnest thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> that's an insane thing to say. That's crazy to say that that's the most fun thing you've ever done. But Jack is a very real human being that is like, you know what is so cool to be out here in a competitive situation where you're on an island, but with 10 other guys and you're working together as a team and you're just one of the guys, that's a completely different experience for him. So I can appreciate that. Bottom of the ninth, interesting situation here. Seems to be a delay of game on the field. It's hard to tell, but it seems the next batter is looking into a full-length mirror. Yep, she is. She's checking out her custom third-man baseball jersey made by Ebbets. Those sure look sharp. Canary yellow trim, custom stitching, and made with that same wool blend they used in the 1950s. Definitely not polyester. Plus, third-man records logo and lightning bolt patches on the sleeves. It's the perfect thing to wear to the baseball game this season. Whereas I would love to be on stage in front of 100,000 people would be a <laughs> cool experience, right? So it's just yin and yang, you know? And um, yeah, we, we there's just been, whether we make it a lot of money or not, I mean, it's, everything we do is about those experiences and then that it becomes worth doing no matter where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it surprised a lot. The announcement surprised a lot oh, of the yeah. fans. It surprised us. I mean, because... We were sitting around waiting for another album, and it's like, now Jack's in the business of baseball. And we were like, what? Did it surprise you? Yeah. Or was it more of like, oh, yeah, why wouldn't he do this? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it seems like you guys became well, real fast friends. Absolutely. I, I was more surprised as how natural it all felt. But it didn't. So in that, in the context of saying that, everything felt right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when I step back outside of it and think, just like everybody else, why would he do this? It doesn't make sense. But at the same time, it makes sense when you know what he's about. He wants to be involved in what he cares about. He doesn't spend any time doing anything he's not interested in. So right, right. I can't tell you why he's so fascinated by baseball, but it's weird. A lot of musicians seem to be. You know, we've got, you know, Eddie Vedder just wears the battle shirt as his favorite shirt. And there's and he That's loves awesome. the Cubs. And there, there's a, something about the aesthetic of baseball, maybe. And it's just quirky and weird enough and beautiful. It's a little bit more like chess yeah. than it is like football, mm-hmm. where it's very much smash, you know, not to smash football. I shouldn't say that. I love football. <laughs> but there's something weird about baseball where a lot of artistic people are gravitate towards the beauty and aesthetic of, of it and appreciate it. So that's just real for him. I can't tell you why. The uh, Like with a lead singer, you're out there alone with the spotlight on you. You have a band backing you up, just like you have a team backing you up in baseball, but you're out there alone for what you are going to be presenting. So it makes perfect sense that 
musicians would be drawn to that. We know uh, Pokey Lafarge is a huge Cubs fan, oh, and I'm, you know he's another one. Dude. You know, so they the list goes on. Yeah, yeah, love that guy, man. It's like meeting someone out of night. I'm like, did you just come here from 1932, Pokey? <laughs> and, yeah. and you look at him and you're like, how did you pull this off? Like, it's like crazy. And, I mean, to talk about original personality, man. But, dude, he knows more about baseball than I do. Yeah. Like, he will. Yeah. If I sat down with Pokey and got into any argument about what team's going where and this, he would destroy me. <laughs> now, could I kick his ass on the baseball field? Absolutely. But, yeah. He, as far as baseball knowledge, I mean, dude, oh my God, it's unbelievable. And they, awesome. they have this, they have that appreciation for it, which is really how baseball was set up to be. It's like this, there's guys that play and there's guys that look and analyze and talk and that they just love doing that and figuring out sure. the chess board of that, you know? Yeah. It's one thing I love about baseball is, is that it's not just about the physical aspect, which is greatly important. Uh, to baseball, but it's a, you know, there's a lot of, you know, strategy and thinking involved with it. You know, there's a lot of empty space in baseball where everybody's just trying to figure out what pitch to throw or where to run. And, you know, a lot of conferences are called because of that. So it's, it's interesting to me. It's a different kind of sport. For sure. But let's talk a little bit about Warstick uh, up and running. Jack and Ian have joined. You have sort of the launch. You started to get things ready. There's an awesome photo shoot that you and Ian and Jack did that was shot by David Swanson, who's a, an oft collaborator with Jack and Third Man. That looked like a lot of fun. Can you tell us uh, how many re- It's like you guys with baseball bats destroying vinyl. How many vinyl records were destroyed that day? As few as possible because it was <laughs> kind of sacrilegious. And- were they like um, what were they what records were they? Were I would they say like, I, I think we know. only actually I think we only broke four. Because there was one kind of retake that happened. I won't tell you who did it, but <laughs> I think we managed to go three out of four. We only broke four <laughs> records, and the thing was, I it turned out my record though was a Neil Young record, and no one told me what record I was oh, busting. No. I didn't think about it, and then I was like, oh my god, I'm so. <laughs> Like I yeah. just broke a Neil Young record. Like that's not no cool the harvest. That's like not my, the harvest. Yeah, I was like, I was like, that's that's like a big deal to me. That's not cool. That's that's my guy. No, oh man. And anyway, but it was cool. Like it was really um, one of my a guy named Clark Harris who is one of our um, you know our employees who doesn't do anything with regard to creativity. Just was on the spot with it, and he said, "Hey, what if? You know, mm. like, what if we took records and threw them up and break them out? And you know, it's one of those things for a minute. It's like, no, I can't do that. And then we thought, oh. Yeah, we, maybe we could do that. And then it just went from there. And then and then David kind of, you know, then, of course, David gets in his hands and turns it into some beautiful art, you know. Sure. And he's just like that, too, man. David's, David's also the best. Like, that's what's so striking to me about this whole thing is mostly been the family of people and how much love there is between people. And just that's a happy place, man. The day I went to Third Man Records... It's the thing that struck me was because I've been in a lot of business environments and it was like, man, these all these people really like each other. This is weird. Like, this is, is this right? This is real. And it's, it's really real, man. Like, I'm sure everybody's got hard days oh, yeah. and everything, but everybody just really loves each other there. And um, a lot of new friends. For sure. Were the other three of the four records uh, solo records by Crosby, Stills, and Nash? <laughs> I can't remember. I, I was so distraught at my point. I, didn't even, I was like, I can't even look whose else records we broke. I, was just, I don't even want to think about it. But Maybe that's why David Crosby has that weird uh, thing against Jack White. It's because Jack smashed a David Crosby record, you know? He really just... <laughs> well, I don't even know about that, but I mean, now I'm just going to suggest that we do it on purpose, so... <laughs> 
fantastic. Yeah, he said something on Twitter. Like, uh, first of all, the idea of David Crosby on Twitter is amazing. But uh, he, David Crosby tweeted, like, Jack White's never written a fine song. And I was like, how, okay. like, old man on the internet can you get right yeah. now, David? And first of all, who let you on the internet? Well, this is insane. That's crazy. Jack's got a pretty good wild card on that. It's like, you know, Bob Dylan, for the most part, treats him like a lost son. So right. <laughs> I think he's good on yeah. that part. That's all I'm going to say. That's right. That's right. <laughs> But, you know, whatever. I mean, Jack's different, right? If you're different and you don't follow a formula, you're going to get reamed for it at some point, some way or the other. So, yeah. so you guys, whatever. you guys, uh, after announcing this, you guys throw a huge party at the Third Man Records cast corridor, which mm-hmm. sounded awesome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? What went on? Oh, nothing much. It was like the most, like, low, it was really like very low key. And it was really just all the people involved on the three sides getting together to celebrate the coming together of the work we had done to get to that point, which was, you know, you got a company coming together with another guy who's got a lot going on with another guy who's got a lot going on. And there's so many pieces and people behind the scenes that made that work. We were just celebrating that, but it was just telling, we were just more than anything, just wanted to have a chance to tell people about it. So it was mostly just the teams and we had some Detroit Tigers players there and stuff like that, but it was really just a celebration of that. And so one picture came out of that of the three of us, holding the bats that went through the press like crazy the next day, which <laughs> was really fun and surreal too. Um, but it's just, you need that too. It's like, Hey, let's tell people we've done this so that they hold us accountable to doing something cool with it now. Cause we haven't mm-hmm. done anything. Yeah. All we did is decide to do something, but you gotta go do it. You yeah. know? So I, you know, definitely I love the pressure of people, you know, like this building that we're coming out with is like, it's in the press Right now it's an empty building, so I have all this pressure on me to work with Jack to make something incredible because the bar is just spectacularly high, and that's cool. That's great. We're all, well, let's do it, you know? Mm -hmm. I have every bit of confidence that that's, when I was looking at the storefront and the pictures, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but when Mm -hmm. I was looking at that in the pictures, I was looking at that already envisioning what it was going to look like, which may be some of the expectations you're fighting against here, but I have every bit of confidence that between you and Jack, it's going to look slick and probably black. Um, oh, man. The- yeah. <laughs> There's some easy stuff. It's going to be black. There's going to be a lot of black, but other than that, yeah. Uh, Battle Cry. This mm. is the single released last year, pseudo conjunction with the second record store day later in the year. Battle Cry. Mm. It was an all instrumental song by Jack. It was a huge surprise for us because mm-hmm. it just for for fans because it just kind of dropped out of the clear blue sky after a kind of a you know Jack's been in somewhat of a Jack drought we've been calling it he hasn't he hasn't released <laughs> an album sort of proper in a little while and and mm-hmm. so it, it we were like whoa is this the new album and it was it turned out to be in association with a marketing campaign for Warstick and I could not think of a more compelling battle cry than that song for you guys to use can you tell us a little bit about how that promotion came about do you think Jack was aware that people, you know, what people would think, or does he even care about that kind of thing? And, you know, like, oh, yeah. tell, tell us a little bit about Battlecry. I, I mean, the way it came about was that I knew when we got the investment that one of the things I really, really wanted to do was create a quote unquote film slash commercial. There was no way to express the emotion of really what I felt inside that Warstick was about without creating something like that, right? Mm-hmm, right? And I was like, that's, and I had gone, you know, I had this. I went to film school and I just really never, I, you know, then I started graphic design and kind of left it behind. So I was like, this is what a lot of this investment about is getting the opportunity to make more art, but then for the purpose of making the brand 
embellish it and, and tell people what it's really about. And he, from the get-go, agreed that we should do that. So it was really through just working on the ideas and script for the film and how that would go that we got to the point where, like, well, it needs something in the background, in the audio realm. And I am, like, absolutely staying away from the idea of ever asking him to do something like that. And, <laughs> and, the, and it just was in the middle of sitting there with the production film crew guys and talking about getting those ideas tangible. The idea for the film was starting to really become concrete, and he just goes, man, I... I would love to score music for this. And everybody went, <laughs> uh, what? No, and it's purely, I don't, it, it was really just out of like, I think the development of the film in him going, I want to be a part of this because it's cool is all that there is to it. They took that a step further this offseason when they got together and made a film that explores the deep recesses of a hitter's mind. It's heavy stuff. Out of that was born a new walk-up sign, walk-up sign, that a song that White created just for Kinsler. Honestly, it's it's uh, it's been an unbelievable experience to be part of this group, you know, with Ben and, and Jack, um, you know, the group at Warstick. Just just what we've done in, sh- in such a short period of time is it's been just so fun to be a part of. I never imagined that this would happen. Uh, I never imagined me and Jack would partner in something like this. And but it's all just kind of worked together really seamlessly. And um, now I have Jack White writing walkout songs for me, so <laughs> you know I, I'm not complaining at all. It was a way of him from him diverting me because I was giving him a lot of three in the morning. I would call him and give him. T- tips on how to bat the next game and, and then starting to annoy I was him, telling so. him to move his fingers a little bit <laughs> get a different note all, all came together it's absolutely cool for us and you know from a business perspective it's like well obviously more people will see the thing if, if you're doing the music and um and then i just made him promise to do it and i said we all heard what you said <laughs> So anyway, and then, you know, I didn't really know if he would ever do it. And then it got to the point where one day he just said, hey, um, next week I'm going to work on the, I got an, I got some ideas and I'm going to work on that. And I was like, really? And I just, again, just kind of let him, if he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And then, of course, when he, when he sent it to me, it's like anything, I've had no expectation for what it would be like. And I had to listen to it. Like, it was so shocking to hear, because how could I ever imagine what it was going to be? Yeah. You know? Um, right. it, and, then, and then I'm thinking, I have to tell him what I think about this, which is just like the worst job in the world. <laughs> Did he send you a demo or the finished product? He sent me like a, he sent me like a digital, like an MP3. Okay. Just this rough track of it, you know, and not the final version, but it was like, it was so like its own thing. It was so strong, right? That, oh yeah, this goes with the film. And so I threw it into like the Adobe Premiere just to rough it in. And just the instant that I saw the two things together, I was like, yeah, you know, and then and then I was able to go. I love it because it wasn't that I didn't love it. I just was like, you know, you're critical. You're like, I don't know. Does this work together with this? Holy! Shit. And I just had to see, and I was like, without even like making it work, it was like, oh man, this is insane. And then it became, 
in the editing process in the final edit really became building on mm-hmm. it, right? It really provided sure. the momentum and the flow of the the way that we pieced together the linear story of the film. So again, just just naturally kind of worked. And then what's crazy is, of course, you know, I was at a hockey game last night, the Dallas Stars game, and with Ian, and you know, sure enough. Battle Cry comes on in the hockey arena and the hockey fans oh, nice. freaking love it, man. And it's very much, it's become more of anything, a hockey staple. It's becoming more and more of a hockey staple huh. now, which is super yeah. cool. And it fits because it's so driving and like pumps you awesome. up. So, and that's cool. I mean, again, for Jack, that's what it is, is to see where these things go. Right. And so, um, you know, as far as his fans and stuff, he's always, I think it's like anybody else, it's the balance of what do the fans want? But if the fans told you what they want and you just did it, it wouldn't be the good stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not how it happens. But it's like I'm making this for you and all that. And it was a weird thing. I mean, it had to be thought about. They definitely thought hard about how to position what it was so that it wasn't confusing more than anything. It's like, hey, this is for sure. this film. This is for this thing. This isn't Jack White doing solo music and me telling you this is my new solo kind of style. That's not what this. This is just a special project. And so the main thought went into just making sure that it was positioned like that, and which right. we were obviously very sensitive to. And it's a score for a film. But, oh, by the way, it's cool enough that it stands alone and has this use in arenas now. Yeah. Well, have you, yeah. have you guys you thought go. about possibly branching off into hockey? Because I know Third Man Records has the Third Man Wreckers, which is their hockey team, and they sell jerseys occasionally. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is the long-range plan is, you know, I am an evil branding person, and the reality <laughs> is, if you, think, if you think of the name, Warstick has nothing to do with baseball. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It absolutely applies to hockey, golf, lacrosse, any sport you play with a stick, which requires a kind of tough mentality, it works in. Now, that's not, it's easier said than done, but we're going to totally focus on baseball, merge into softball, and make sure we absolutely get all that right before we do anything like that. Yeah. But the dream is kind of like to somehow get there, but in the right way, not just to do it to do it, but to let it develop over time so that we're doing it right and stuff. So, I mean, that's the hope, right? It's kind of also the driving forces. Like, let's figure this baseball stuff out so we can figure the softball stuff out right. so we can figure the hockey and it, each thing getting finished opens up the next mm-hmm. door, you know? So for sure, man. I mean, I'd love for someone to come into the headquarters in the future and it's not who needs a baseball bat. It's like who needs a stick. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you play? Yeah. I play golf. All right, sweet. Here's a stick. Or dad plays golf and kid plays hockey. Dad gets something, you know, all that. And that's what's fun. But they yeah. all share the mentality. Yeah. It's about, it's about the mentality that binds them together. And the aesthetic, again, I know what the hockey stick looks like in my mind, but <laughs> I have to kind of keep myself from messing with that because I can get distracted. There's so much to do right now before that so yeah the battle cry demo mm-hmm. was that an acoustic guitar or was that a an electric thing or was that just him no that was the whole band man i think it, i think oh, really? as jack does the band the band probably showed up and jack's like hey i got this little thing let's do this and it just happened and yeah the demo i got was felt like a finish to me <laughs> like all electric everything you realize you have a uh, you have a collector's item on your computer right now you realize this yes <laughs> What? No, 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 not like physically oh, on your oh. computer. Like the, the demo I? itself. Oh, I, I deleted it. I don't know what you're yeah, talking no. about. I you don't, del- I, yeah, I, I didn't even think about that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. No, I, I mean, I, that, that wasn't to imply you should send it anywhere. I was just simply saying you have this piece of awesome that uh, that is just for you. That must that must feel great. Well, I'll keep that as an insurance card. I probably don't even know where it is, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because, you know, things just exploded into eight versions of this, and he kept working on it to refine it, you know. 
and he's hearing these details that I'm like, oh, okay. And, <laughs> and he definitely, man, I mean, he was super serious about how we were using, you know, the, the fine details of what cut hit what beat, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you know, that was not to be taken lightly. Yeah. You know, the editors had to live with me looking over them going, you know, the story, this part, it's got to go here. He has to do this before he does that in the film. And this is what you do. And the people around you can either take you when you're doing that or not. Yeah. Paul, this interview is fantastic. Love hearing from Ben. Very interested that he had met and discussed baseballing with Mr. Pokey Lafarge. Yeah, that was kind of crazy, huh? It sounds like he was really brought into the inner circle, huh? Yeah, and it makes sense. Pokey's a huge baseball nerd, as is Jack and as is Ben. And, it, you know, it only makes sense that at some point they would all meet. They all seem to be kind of in the same orbits, and they all seem to go to Tigers games. So, yeah, I was super happy to hear that there was uh, some Pokey talk in this in this here interview. Speaking of Jack being such a baseball fan, we didn't really touch on it all that much in the interview, but there's a lot of audio out there of Jack talking about baseball. In fact, let's play a little snippet of that here. Detroit's own musician Jack White is in the house, and a few moments ago, he caught up with our Shannon Hogan. Justin, it definitely feels like Christmas in July because Jack White is joining us on Tigers Live. I understand not only are you a huge Tigers fan, you're a baseball fan. Oh, yeah, always have been. Actually, this tour has basically been booked around baseball. We've hit almost every stadium we could in the, uh, on the road in America. We've gone to uh, Milwaukee, St. Louis, Chicago, two, two games in Chicago. So we've hit, we've hit every so. But today is the most important because my kids are coming to their first Detroit Tigers game. So that's, a, that's the most important one. And their dad gets to throw out the first pitch. You're not a rookie at throwing out the first pitch. What do you think is key to throwing out a good first pitch? I think it's taking it easy, you know. The problem with me is I'm more accurate the more fire I put into it. But I'm not doing that today. <laughs> Take it nice and easy. That was from Major League Baseball. Obviously, Jack's a big baseball fan, and so are the people that he hangs out with. And I had actually no idea that the Lazaretto Tour was in part built around baseball stadiums and Jack wanting to go see all these games. Uh, that was an enlightening thing for me. I did not know that. And so, uh, you know, sort of lastly here, the Battle Cry demo, the fact that Ben has somewhere on his computer a rough cut of Battle Cry is crazy. And I think we might have to call some Russian hackers, James. We might have to de- <laughs> DNC this thing. We might have to really just get in there. You know what I mean? We have to, we can be um, the fancy bears. We can be those fancy bears. We could be, but we probably shouldn't say this because this would be evidence. I feel like we... <laughs> We may have frightened Ben into uh, trying to hide the fact that he has this because we're like, you you probably have this thing that we really want, don't you, Ben? Let's get back into it. What do you say? This is getting dangerous. Let's go back. Back to the safety of the interview, Paul. Oh, and then, you know, you're passing over the fact that he actually agreed to be in the film was actually probably, to me, almost not the bigger deal, but like... You know, that's a huge deal. Yeah. He wasn't originally written into the story, but there was something missing in the story. He was kind of the troublemaker. And we were like, this guy's driven by something bad, but we don't know what it is. And and then it kind of, you know, that was a very organic thing between the different parties talking about we need a catalyst that kind of drives and forces this guy. And it's funny because it was like, oh, you know, like a dark shadowy figure um, and this. And it was like, it kind of was telling us like, well, dark shadowy figure sounds like Jack. And... (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and we had to approach him about it with very, we did pro- approach him about that. You know, he didn't want it to be about him. Right. That's so much, this isn't, he didn't want it to be about him. I said, look, I don't, I don't want it to be you either, man, but I need this character. And you're perfect for this character, and we don't even have to really see your face for it to work. But people will know it's you, and that will help, again, get more eyes on it because it will be more interesting, you know? And all the characters are real things. Like, Ian's a real person, a real character. It's all surreal, but Ian's a real person. Dosh Collins is a real Native activist in the real world and a badass dude who played the warrior hunter guy. Mm -hmm. And then Jack's a real Mm -hmm. guy, so... I was like, I don't want to get a fake actor, man. I want a real... That's the another layer that I liked about it. Yeah. You know? Well, he's no stranger to the film world, so it, oh, it, yeah. it only fit that he was a part of it. And I think it, it worked with what you were saying. You know, it added to a story and added to the mystery that was, that was a part of the film, which I really liked and enjoyed about it because it had people talking, you know, people were trying to figure out who the characters were and what their place was. Um, right. You know, apart from the actual point of the film yeah so were you there for the shooting of it how much involvement did you have because obviously you had the premiere file if you you had the video footage of it to throw back oh yeah i mean but to do the film was my idea i basically wrote an epic novel two-hour movie right mm-hmm. and then <laughs> as i tend to do i and then it's kind of like refining that down and then it got down to a smaller idea that was more doable and more doable until i got to the point where it's 80 percent there of what i wanted to do and then starting to write out the narrative of what it was and how it worked but I'm not a film guy anymore that has that capability and that technology so I reached out to actually we had kind of three directors really I was representing Warstick uh, my buddy uh, Sterling Harjo, who's a native filmmaker, was representing, making sure the native part was authentically done, but also merging it into the sports world through his eyes. And then Farm League from California, who does a lot of more sports and stuff like that. And I was like, I got to smash these things together, but then make us work together, which is hard. Mm-hmm. When you have three directors on a project, you yeah. can get tense. <laughs> but it really was like, it was a battle in a way because it made it what it was and as much as it was hard we all love what it turned into you know so and i just knew this has to get way bigger than me i mean i could have hired some film guys and done it but i needed help man and all that so it was just like getting two film companies to work together good god that was harder than getting jack and ian to sign on a deal (laughs) because they're creative people right creative people i don't want to work with other people yeah and it just as i said hey i you know i just i can't do this without these guys and i can't do this out without you and then, by the way, we're going to be driving what we got. What we feel is the right way to do this. So, on top of it, you're going to have a horrible client. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I'm super proud of it, man. Like it was the most fun single project that I've ever finished. You know, I would love to see the full two hour script with uh, just everything highlighted in Someday. red, saying "cut for time." It would be yeah. fantastic. <laughs> um, it's a little crazy. The Native American stuff in there was interesting to me because it had come at a time where Jack was in. Involved in a lot of charity work as it pertained to the Standing Rock situation and making sure that the mm-hmm. kids who were there for the protest had schooling while their parents were protesting the uh, pipeline. And yeah. um, so whose suggestion was including the Native American aspect of it, or is that something inherent about War Whoa. Stick? This idea of yeah. you know making war with that kind of weaponry was that the thinking there, or how'd that come about? Just back to that experience on the reservation. The aesthetic from War Stick came from. Not directly from it, but I think when I started thinking about visually what the bat was looking like in my mind before I ever, you know, even put it in the computer, it was like a war club and the sacred object of a warrior 
that weapon being an extension of themselves and being very personalized to that person. I mean, the reality is without my experience into native culture and some of the studies and looking at things and working with people, Warstick would never even exist. Not as Warstick, it would be something else. So Thosh in the film runs a thing called Native Wellness and Welfare Culture, which is basically teaching native, especially youth, which we're super concerned with just the benefit of health healthy eating, healthy exercise and all that kind of stuff. And it's hugely powerful and it wouldn't be right for me not to put back into that. So that's what we do. And Jack knew that from the day day one. I mean, we have this dream of like building baseball and athletic fields on a reservation, but not just that the programs that go into those. So Posh in a way is already built for that. If we get big enough to where we could actually build the physical, Dosh can put in the program to do that. And then that's why we do this kind of stuff. But it was weird, Jack. I actually saw... I was following Third Man, and I saw that he was doing T-shirts to support Standing Rock. I never even talked to him about it. Mm-hmm. It was just happening. Yeah. And I had already gone down the path of, well, I've known my buddy Sterling for, and really Thosh for almost 10 years, and they literally flew from Standing Rock to the film shoot. Oh, wow. Because they were there right. protesting and documentary, making documentaries. So, again, it was just all kind of like, you know, there's no political motivation for us having them involved in that, except it just happens to be... Those are the people I know, so right. and they're they're intense people. It's interesting how tangential you and and Jack think. You guys are, are sim- on similar no, wavelengths, it seems, which makes this partnership yeah. all the better. Well, he just is. He's maybe fourteen hundred waves in front of me, but sure, maybe I'm <laughs> the same wave, right? You know, something like that, I guess. Because I mean, let's not get stupid. I mean, I've never done anything remotely close to the things he's accomplished, and I don't like. It makes me kind of uncomfortable to even... But the way we view the world, sure, I'm, I'm there, you know? Yeah. Obviously, I mean, you, you know, you probably wouldn't get along with people if you didn't have similar viewpoints, but it's, I just don't want to be thinking that... I have to wake up every day and not be an asshole. Like, I'm not... I haven't done anything <laughs> yet, you know? Like, I'm, maybe this will turn into something like that that is something very cool, but... Um, yeah. I'm still just a graphic designer <laughs> that used to play baseball and wasn't good enough to do it. It's really cool to hear you talk uh, about, you know, wanting to address the plights of obesity and alcoholism and things like that on reservations. Mm-hmm. It's something I never really even realized existed. It sounds crazy to say this, but actually the thing that made me aware of it was reading this graphic novel called Scalped, which takes place on a reservation and is sort of closely tied to, you know, the actual issues that are addressing Native Americans today. And that's when I that's why I did a little bit more research. I was like, holy shit, these people are facing some crazy insurmountable odds so it sounds if you guys could eventually branch off into sports and uh, instituting that on the reservation like that sounds like a really awesome noble goal yeah it's funny you bring that up because what you don't know is that sterling harjo my co-director he just directed the pilot of scout the tv show oh no way yeah that's awesome i don't know how that's going or where or anything like that but I mean, what it comes down to is this, like, there is, like, um, I have a great buddy named Travis Mills, who's a, um, a U.S. injured military veteran who was blown up by a bomb and has no arms and legs. And it's like the most motivational, charismatic person you've ever met in your life who will make you feel instantly lazy. He's mm-hmm. a good friend. He's actually uh, one of the small investors in Warstick. And there wasn't a thought to really driving the cause side to veterans which I do care about and it's absolutely respected. It fits the mentality and everything. But the reality for me was the gut check is, I mean, in this day and age, veterans have a massive amount of support unlike they did before. And a lot of causes go towards veterans and they get highlighted at every football game and every baseball game and every this. 
And I'm like, but these guys don't get highlighted here at all. Like, this is a mutt. This, these guys need our help. At the same time, they don't want our help. It's not just like, you know, hey, white guys need to help native guys type thing. But it's where this came from. I'm just giving it back the energy that came back to me in this way. And it, I mean, there's things to help. What I love about Dosh and what he does is like, you could watch a video of Dosh Collins if you follow him on Instagram. It doesn't matter if you're native or this or that. It doesn't matter. Just listen to Tosh apply it to your life and you're going to be a better human. That's what matters. So it's very much more like my white suburban kids that are buying war sticks over here or my minority kids over in this part of town all can benefit from the same thing that he's got to teach. And that's why it's not about being native. It's just that he is native and it, I know that it directly the, the education goes more to there and stuff. Yeah. But we, you were very careful with that stuff. You know, there's a difference between being inspired by something and lifting it and appropriating exactly. or something yeah. like that. So I've been around that a lot to know that I'm digging into the, you know, hunting is a very archaic, natural, native thing to do, but I'm not pulling anything from Navajo culture when I do right. that, you know? I know the difference, right. yeah. you know, stuff and like that. And it shows. Um, that's something Jack's struggled with, too. Obviously, I think in the formation of the White Stripes, that's partly why all those gimmicks were laid on top of it is because he was, James, I think, as you said in one of our earlier episodes, he was nervous about people thinking he was appropriating black blues. Yeah, absolutely. We had that kind of trust thing. me. Me and Jack had conversations about when he realized what I wanted this film to be. Those heavy conversations to go, we know where our heart is and what we're making. And even the guys who are native that are making this with us know where our heart is and what we're doing. But that's wholly different from the public being outside and viewing it, what they think. And there was, we knew, we said, look, there's going to be internet trolls Mm -hmm. and it's okay, you know, because of how we're doing this and all in all, it went very smoothly. Um, Although, you know, we had certain like major league teams wouldn't play it Mm -hmm. because even them, they're just the fear of the internet troll kind of thing. I'm like, well, it's got native imagery in it. Well, we can't play it then. Why? Because of the Redskins thing. I'm like, what's, those are two different complete, like they're not thinking things through, right? I'm like, but that's not a reason not to do it. It's a balancing act. I go, I go, look, we knew at the end of the day, what we're doing, we're highlighting what our brand's about. And we're also bringing awareness to something that we want to point to. So how is that going to be perceived as we're doing something wrong? And, and, and trust me, we, we thought about every little detail and how we did it. I mean, the bow and arrow in that film, actually I have it right here. This is the arrow from the film. Nice. Oh, wow. Um, That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Where's this thing? Is that the one from the album cover, uh, the single cover? Yeah, that's actually the one in the cover and everything. What? Um, This is made by cool. Yeah, this is made by a Cherokee kid that lives in Oklahoma named Mason Gray, and Sterling knew him. And everything had to be. It wasn't like let's find this on eBay. It's like this is really made by him, which led to um, now when we introduce a new major league player, we have these. These are like our brand. This is a new one that Mason makes now with Mm -hmm. the eagle feathers. We introduce ourselves to a major league player by like sending a box to them with a, which they think is going to be a bat, but they open it up and it's a freaking arrow, and it's basically and it'll say like time to hunt, and it's shocking to them, and they're looking around <laughs> and, they're like, Holy <laughs> and but you know so I mean that's the thing is that one idea leads to another and then going for it you know yeah so. that's awesome I'm not sure if I was to open a package and find an arrow it's a time to hunt in it my th- my first call I think would be to the police but um <laughs> well wait till we get real money wait till we really big like that box is gonna like you know, we joke about it all the time, like what that box is going to be in 2023 where you open it up and it's like Jack's hologram pops out <laughs> and like punches you in the face. I mean, is it going to be just crazy? You know, like it's 
You only get one chance to make a first impression. Yeah, that's a hell of a branding so, uh, idea. I love it's it. It's the decapitated head of one of your enemies. The first thing they, they expect to see is a bat. So we basically say <laughs> we're getting we're getting beyond that. We're like, well, you oh. you need to you need to use our bat because you've got that hunter's mentality, that focus, and we only approach guys that are naturally like that. Like, and they're, then they become good representations of what we were trying to do. As Fats Kaplan told us when we spoke with Fats, he said, uh, "In Don Quixote like fashion, Jack is trying to create mystery in a world wherein it is impossible to do so." And it sounds yeah. like you are right on that same page as adding some mystery, some whimsy, some mm-hmm. intrigue into uh, into your dealings. Yeah. Is, is there really cool effective tool yeah it's the obvious thing in branding to me but you know well there you go um, <laughs> create mystery and intrigue just, therefore interest so so you're expanding i just uh, sort of lastly here i just wanted to talk about mm-hmm. the shop you're opening up the warstick hq that just, which is opening up in deep elm texas uh it's mm-hmm. warstick's first brick and mortar and my first thought is that it would sort of be like Third Man Records Store, but for baseball equipment. But what can fans and customers expect from the shop experience? What can you tell us? What are you still developing? Is that we've always known what the components are, but you know, and, and how they fit together, and and, and what are the, what's the actual aesthetic and all that. I mean, that's what we're working on now. That I sat down with the floor plan after we got the building. And in a couple hours, had laid out the components of how they could work together, and it just came together very naturally. But it's meant to be the experience of, it's based on, I mean, our core audience is guys that play baseball. Now, other people buy our bats that don't play baseball, and that's maybe the 20% of it. But the 80% is, um, you know, maybe it's a 16-year-old kid that wants to come in, he'll come in most likely with a parent and he's going to get greeted at the door by a rather badass gentleman with a large beard who can (laughs) hit a real you know a guy that is just he's going to get greeted like maybe like a guy that maybe is like positioned as a fit master but his job is to he's going to take dad in get dad comfortable and say hey we've got a little lounge here where you can watch sports and hang and and have a have a beverage and stuff and we're going to take care of your kid but it's complete personal attention where he's got an appointment we have a parking spot reserved for him he comes in, we take this kid into the cage, and we just watch him hit. And there's this thing in baseball where it's like, oh, well, you're 5'10 and 160, so you should swing a WS243, 33-inch, 31. And the reality is it's not like that. It's like, what's this kid's swing style and who's he trying to be? So therefore, what bat fits and complements that swing style? So it's very personal. It's, a, it's like getting fitted for a suit. Like, yeah. <clears throat> it's not just about the guy's size. Like it's it. like, what's his personality? And that stuff. And that's what's really fun. That's the driving force behind the brick and mortar is that we can't do that on a website, you know? Yeah. And then you get into... So you're going to actually have a batting cage in there? Oh, man. We're trying to build the world's single coolest batting cage ever. Wow. Sure. That's Um, awesome, That's part of the experience. Oh, yeah. And then at night, people would train there as well. Um, And, you know, it'll be a place for our major league guys to come in in the off season and work out and stuff like that. And then you'll be able to see into that window. Um, So this is it's a multi-use kind of thing. And then... Take the kid through the design process, take him through getting to where he orders bats. And ultimately, yeah, we're selling stuff. And then, you know, you've got the lifestyle side of the store with all the great T-shirts and hats. And um, we're developing new things for that that will be a driving force. And Jack has Jack's experience with Third Man was as much as anything that when you have that store out front, it drives the creative behind. It, it motivates you to want to put more incredible stuff in there. And that's absolutely true. So, I mean, think about me. I mean, talk about it. I get to 
design my own products and design the store in which they go and the boxes that they go in and the bags you walk out with and all that. I mean, it's, I I couldn't ask for more. I mean, to be honest with you, like I'm very grateful for that, you know? And then on this, the cool thing with the building is this is the tangible thing where I think Jack will absolutely come through the most, right? Because we have mm-hmm. license to do it. You know, there's a studio and there's warehouse and there's a place where we paint the bats and all that kind of stuff where you can see kind of more behind the scenes process. And then there's a super secret kind of private lounge underneath in the basement, kind of like a speakeasy. And it's secret. I can't tell you about it. All right. So, I heard nothing. Wow. That's, but that's there too. It sounds awesome. Yeah, it does. I, really yeah, it, wow. I mean, I, uh, it better be awesome wow. because baseball's not a big enough market to even warrant doing a retail store. There's not enough people that buy baseball bats. So it's going to have to be experiential to become a destination where even if you just like baseball, you got to see it. Yeah. But, I, you know, and that yeah. for us is that's what it's got to be. And that's what our competitors would never do. I mean, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a there's a battle cry. Yeah, for you. that's amazing. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I can't. It, it seems like it's going to be so far in the future because there's so much to do because it's literally an empty building. But I mean, the pieces are starting to percolate and move behind the scenes. Wood's going to start being cut and it'll get there. I can't wait wow. uh, to visit it when it's finally open. I think me and Paul will make a trek down there. Yeah, for sure. It'll be on a migration. We'll go from third man to war stick. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> Obviously, you've talked with us for quite a long time. Uh, we don't want to take too much more of your time. But if people want to find you on the Internet, they can do so how i know there's a podcast you have called mm-hmm. the kill shot that they can uh, they can look into yeah i mean that's kind of the, my newest kind of content creation is a podcast style thing because it's you know just driven by we have access to these really incredible people now that are like accomplished so much and it's just trying to transfer some of their knowledge to our fans and so we're just not doing a podcast i hate the idea of being a podcast host no offense None to taken. You, but i'm just too sh- <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's just you know but i love i at the other hand love sitting down and picking a guy's brain about how do you deal with xyz and i've already i've so i've launched two episodes and um yeah that's definitely kind of one of my little pet projects is absolutely for warstick and then um but you know more personally i don't insert myself personally into warstick social media so like one fast buffalo at, you know at one fast buffalo is more me okay and you can see me fishing yeah. and all kinds of sexy things like that you know stuff like that <laughs> that sounds incredible we we encourage all of our listeners to check out the kill shot podcast ben i cannot thank you enough uh, for taking the time to talk to us today i know james and i both are we're tremendous admirers of your work and your dedication and the beautiful creature you've created with Warstick, it's just, it's incredible. And, and it's funny because, you know, we're not baseball guys, but we are acutely mm-hmm. aware of what you're doing because of the Jack connection. And mm-hmm. so I, it, it's my hope that uh, that'll continue and that you guys will continue to grow. And you're an incredible human being, sir. And we really, really appreciate you for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. That's uh it's definitely, I think a strange beast is a great way to explain <laughs> it. But I mean, you know, like you said, it's bringing people together. <laughs> And that's what's cool about it. So, I mean, we this is much smaller than people realize. We are so at the beginning, so we need all the support we can get. So, you know, if you can buy a T-shirt, man, represent, it doesn't mean you're just some jock or something. I mean, it's pick people up. That's what it is. So don't be afraid, even if you're not yeah. into baseball. I mean, it, there's nothing here that's anything but trying to pick each other up behind the scenes and, and what that thing's about. So please... Every T-shirt helps. Yeah. Every every little thing helps. So um, and tell people about it, man. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate you guys giving me the chance to uh, to tell people more about it. So yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll keep getting the word out, and you guys keep doing what you're doing. And thank you again. We're going to uh, we're going to get back to the show, James. That sounds say? great. Thanks. All right, man. See you guys down the road. 
James, that was a great interview. I love talking to Ben. So much insight here. Really cool hearing about the store that's about to open up. Definitely. And I appreciate what he's doing with Jack. I didn't get it at first. And I was slowly starting to get the idea of Warstick and why Jack decided to do this partnership with him. And, and talking with Ben, it makes total sense. It really does. They mm-hmm. they both have the same kind of work ethic and they both care about their passions and want to just make something that's not only a piece of art, but something that's worthwhile and worth having in this world. And I enjoyed talking with Ben. I also enjoyed hearing about the possibility of other or stick products like hockey sticks and lacrosse sticks and that sort of stuff, which took me by surprise. And I was super thrilled to hear that he's going to possibly be expanding this aesthetically yeah. driven sports equipment. Absolutely. And as he said in the interview, hey, everybody go out and support or stick, you know, buy a T-shirt, do something to support the company because it's uh, it's small, it's growing and any little bit helps. So thank you again, Ben. And uh, we loved having you on the show. And James, we're going to get to a couple uh, quick shout outs here before we close out. Real quick. I also just want to say that we're coming right on the heels of the World Series having been won by the Houston Astros, which makes me wonder, does Jack do the Astros? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well done. I could hear all the boos and hisses in the crowd now. Got a couple of shout outs we want to give here. A couple of new listeners to the show. We've got Benares Marion. We've got Chris Smith. We've got Rachel Salazar, who I think we might have thanked before. We've got Sean Lorraine. We've got Sarah Jones and uh, Lisa House, Sandra Martinez, uh, Lucas uh, Ravenga, Toma. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. And as always, we'd like to thank the uh, people who are with us day in and day out. Our regulars to the show. Thank you to the Bones of the Operation, Kate McCoy. Thank you to Jeremy Riles, keeping us on those rails. My oh me, it's me oh my. Thank you very much. Thank you to Andre Ice Cold Lyman. Thank you to Eileen Corsana. We see you over there. Callie Durga, our third person in spirit every week. Thank you very much. Adrian Punk Rock Queen King, the Red Red Rain Prosper, the Heart of the Operation, Amy Hart. (laughs) It's LOL 2.0. That one sounded like it had some is, pain on it, James. <laughs> yes, uh, it had some some lots of love. LOL 2.0. It's Eric Andrew Dodson over here. We have David Po 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 Po. We've got S.A. Franco. What does that mean? And we've got <laughs> Walken on Sunshine, Yvette Wilkins. Thank you so much, Yvette. Yes, we do indeed. And before we get to the usual social media plugs and things, I would like to give a very brief shout out to the new podcast being launched by friend of the show, Richard Buskin. That would be Swinging Through the 60s. Richard was a tremendous influence on me with his uh, his former show, which was something about the Beatles, in the formation of this show. And so Richard has left his former program and is starting a new venture with Swinging Through the 60s, and he sends all his love to all the listeners of the Third Men podcast, and you should check it out, because he's a rock and roll biographer who knows a lot of people and a lot of things about music that we all know and love. So yeah, check that out. And then we're going to get to some social media plugs here. We've got visit us on Facebook, facebook.com slash third men. You can tweet at us on Twitter at third men cast. You can tumble with us thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com you can check out our wordpress page where we host the show thethirdmen.wordpress.com shoot us an email thirdmenpodcast@gmail.com. you can visit our Spreaker that's the iHeartRadio 
app. We are on Spreaker, and you could just go on there and search Third Men. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. You can also search us on YouTube, where James has done recent funny animations, which are all awesome. And then please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Mm-hmm. And as always, we'd like to thank Tom Valenti and Sam Kubert for the help with our theme song, We're the Third Men. And as always, a big thank you to Susanna Roundtree for the intros and outros of our program. And Paul... I think that'll do it. Until next episode, I'll be looking for a home base. (laughs) Well done. And I will be looking for a home as well. And we'll see you guys in two weeks. You're out of here. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. See you guys down the road. Don't hang up. (laughs) All right. So. (laughs) This is the Third Men Podcast. We are a... My voice cracked up. Okay. Well, I started recording. Are you recording now? Recording now. Okay. Yes, I am recording. My internet is chopping up everything you guys say into fun little bite-sized pieces. So (laughs) that's why I was impressed that you were doing it from two different locations. We uh, <laughs> we run into Skype lag. We, we've experienced more Skype lag in our lives than um, I don't know yeah. something else. It's it's yeah. uh, it's there's a lot of Skype lag in our in our lives. Yeah. I mentioned that um, during oh f- I forgot who it was that he did it for. Come on. And they're with the um, the storefront opening and yeah, no worries. Uh, I, kind of, I try to not. I'm much better if I just let it let it happen. And I and I looked yeah. over it to make sure that there was nothing that I would just would not want to. So every, it's all good, but I don't remember what you asked, so it's all good. <laughs> well, I guess we'll all find out together. Yeah, like, um, yeah, I'm just not good when I try to script things or whatever. Or remember, oh, I need to say exactly this. So good uh, luck. Okay, so. Good luck to you If for some reason I'm really quiet or if I'm interrupting you, it's really for the sake that I don't, uh, I either can't hear or yeah. okay. uh, I don't understand. So if you're just like this. <laughs>
great, great, great. There's so, a lot of good stuff going on in this world. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm really bad at answering the actual no, question. No, no, that's Ask me. Uh, Perfect. Because yeah. people... One. Go. That's, okay, that's we did it. Time time to to mess yeah. with the guests, is it not? <laughs> it is. I think you may be the first, like... And uh, so I just want to let you know, you you really popped our count in, Cherry, just then. I have no dignity. I don't really care. Let's just move right along from that topic. Uh, <laughs> Ellie points out that the uh, that in last week's episode... Uh, the video's off. Don't worry about it. But I'm decent. Well, okay. Well, the video's off. Yes, and let me open this document so that I can thank other people. Uh. Oh, there was onions in that.